0: Thanks for joining us for our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're currently in our series, Fresh Fruit, where we are diving into the fruit of the Spirit. As a believer, the fruit of the Spirit should be coming out of our lives. It should be shown in all that we say and do. Just as when you see an apple tree, you see apples on it. As a Christian, others should see you and see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. They should see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They should see Jesus in us. Our vertical relationship with God must be lived out in our horizontal relationships with others. So let's jump in together to this week's message of Fresh Fruit. We're so glad you're here.
1: My name's Ethan Neiman. This is my wife, Abby.
0: And we've been going to Rolling Hills for a year now.
1: Yeah, having self-control, it can be kind of difficult at times. Uh, One funny story that comes to mind is actually the day that, uh, our daughter's name is Evie, the day that we dedicated Evie at church. And Evie had had to change her diaper. As I'm changing her diaper, uh, she starts to go to the bathroom again. And so I'm looking around, looking for an extra diaper for the diaper bag and realize I don't have the diaper bag. And so, Abby is just laying there on the changing table, just using the bathroom. Well, I call Abby and she doesn't answer. I call her again, she doesn't answer. And I call her again and probably like 10 minutes go by of I'm just trying to figure out what am I supposed to do. And Abby walks in and she's like, hey, what's, what's taking so long? I was like, well, I don't have the diaper bag. She was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And so in that moment, it was like, I can't control this situation. Uh, And so self-control in that, but then also not to be upset with Abby, who just accidentally took the diaper bag.
0: And I had to have self-control not to get upset with him (laughs) for letting her pee all over herself.
1: Okay, (laughs) didn't have an extra diaper.
0: We made it though. We did. Nobody knew.
1: Now everybody knows. Yep. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I think self-control is part of God's plan because when we think about the world, it's broken and our initial response to people and situations is not what it should be oftentimes. And I think we feel things really strongly and we think that's right, but when we pause and look to Jesus to see how he would respond, oftentimes it's not the way that we would have done it. And so using that self-control makes us stop and think, okay, how would Jesus want me to respond to this person, to this situation? Um, And like Ethan said, by using that as a tool, by using self-control, it makes us more like Jesus, and it helps us love people better.
2: Diaper bags are in my rearview mirror. That was a long time ago. My name is Mike Minter. I'm one of the associate teaching pastors here today. And I'm taking up sort of the caboose here on the nine fruits of the Spirit, which make up the fruit of the Spirit. And I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at self-control today, self-control. But I want to ask you a question before we start. What comes to your mind when you think about self-control? Most people are probably thinking that I'm going to talk about you know, pushing yourself away from the table, not having that fourth piece of apple pie. Three is okay, but not four. You're thinking of, uh, you know, maybe I need to get in uh, 10,000 steps today and I need to start disciplining myself. That is all encompassed in self-control. But whenever I'm looking at a subject matter in Scripture, the one thing that I do is I like to see how that term or word is used in context in Scripture. That gives me a better idea than just simply going to a commentary or a lexicon. I want to see how it's actually used. So I'm going to read a text to you, and then I'm going to go visit you in Matthew 5. But here's the text, and this will give us an understanding. This is in Titus chapter 2. It says this, verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to say no, that's self-control, To ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great god and savior jesus christ who gave himself up to redeem us from all wickedness and purity for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good father i pray that today you would open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. I think you can see from the context that self-control, he's not simply just talking about eating properly or exercising properly. He's talking about moral and ethical possible decay in the Christian's life. He's talking about the passions of life, and he is saying that for us to be salt and light in this world, we must look different. That's what this text is about. And so, I can find a definition when I think of, in 1 Peter, it says, um, as aliens and strangers abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. In order to do that, you have to have self-control. Or we find in Romans, it says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Don't even make provision for it. Ephesians says, don't even speak of those things which are done to them in secret. There's lots and lots of passages that sort of define this subject matter of self-control. Now, I'm going I'm to use this as an illustration because what you should know by now, I, I expect you know, is that all messages here, you have to land the plane in 35 minutes. There's a big clock up here, otherwise a big hook comes out and pulls me off the stage, all right? So I've got 35 minutes to land this plane, And I'm going to give you just a little bit of a warning. This is going to be a very turbulent flight. It's going to be a very turbulent flight. But I promise we will land smoothly, and I will get you to your gate on time. I have to. I'm watching the clock. So here we go. Matthew chapter 5, we see something here in, in the life of Jesus where he's talking to his disciples. And he has something very interesting to say to them. Uh, that if, at first glance, we probably wouldn't even think too much of it. But if we watch carefully the wording and listen carefully to the teaching here, we'll see something a little bit different, which is where I plan to go this morning. Here's what you should read in verses 13 to verse 16. <coughs> you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father, which is in heaven. What does this have to do with self control. Absolutely everything. And I'll tell you why. When I'm reading Scripture and I come across a statement that is very explicit, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, I don't have to meditate on that. It's clear. It's in your face. It's black and white. There's no wiggle room. But when I read a parable, By Jesus, I often walk away scratching my head saying, what's that about? And then I have to meditate and think. Right here in this statement that you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, that is is not an explicit statement. It is something that's implicit. There's an implication here as to what this means. What what does he mean by salt and light? I think everybody here knows something about salt and light. But if you lived back in Jesus' day, you definitely would have known an awful lot about salt and light. They didn't have flashlights, they didn't have laser beams, they didn't have you know, meat packing industry. What they had was salt to preserve the meat, to keep the meat from putrefying, from rotting, from decaying. And light was used in those days with a hand lamp. You didn't have a, a flashlight. You had to step into the light to see what the next, next step was. But the implication is this, and this is hard, but this is what he's saying. You are the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. Why? Because the world is decaying in darkness. And if you don't have self-control, you'll decay just like the world, and you'll live in darkness. And a lot of Christians find themselves being pulled away by the way the world lives and they lack the self-control that is needed to demonstrate what it looks like to walk in the light. Jesus said, or it said of Jesus in John 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. All things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life and the life was the light of men and the light penetrated the darkness and the darkness Could not comprehend it. It couldn't overpower it. We are to be the light of the world. The world is in opposition to us. We know from Scripture the world does not like the church. Jesus said, The reason that the world hates me is because I testify of its evil. And if we live lives that testify of the evil of the world, the world is not going to like us very much. We're going to talk a little bit about how we can sort of dialogue with this world that is decaying in darkness. Some things that I've observed over my years of ministry that I'll, I'll sort of share with you, but these are just things that I have just seen over many, many years that I've, I've looked and observed and, and sort of taken note of these things and written them down. And it's even, I think it's on your, on your bulletin here in the back, by the way, whenever it's blank you know I'm speaking, alright? <clears throat> because I can't do the fill-in thing, it's great, I just, I just can't do it, because I ad lib, and it's, you can't have a fill-in if you're gonna ad lib. So, but on the back here, you'll notice it says, when evil enters the bloodstream of a society, it is first met with shock, then tolerance, then acceptance, then embraced, and then promoted. Now, here's what happens, um, and, and out of eight, I've been able to observe this over a, over a long period of time, it's almost impossible to reverse some kind of an evil or a sin that enters society, almost impossible. What happens is, once that sin enters society, it eventually gets into the bloodstream of society and it becomes systemic. And all of a sudden, the entire society finds itself with this sin in its bloodstream. And then it becomes septic. Uh, You've heard of a septic tank. That's where where the garbage and the refuse is, a septic tank. And this is what happens to a society once different types of evil and sin enter that society, the society starts to rapidly decay, even though society itself doesn't know it's decaying. But if it looks around at the consequences, it ought to be able to realize there's something wrong. There's something wrong here. And so it becomes uh, it, 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 all through these stages, and it goes through these stages from shock to promotion. And to give you a clear illustration of this, in 1939... A Clark Gable in Gone with the Wind said, frankly, my dear, I don't give a, it starts with a D and it ends with an N, all right? <clears throat> now, up our way, I would just say it, but you are, are much more spiritual down here, so I won't, all right? We all know what the word is. Now, the motion picture industry, and I looked this up again to make sure I had my facts right, in 1930 said we will not allow that word into the films. You been to a movie lately? There are as many as 800 to 900 curse words. What happened? It went from shock, when you use that word, and that was the world that was shocked and Christians. I <gasps> swear a word. Then it went to, we'll, we'll, we'll tolerate it. We don't like it, but we'll tolerate it. We'll accept it. We're going to embrace it and we're going to promote it. And that is true with almost every single sin or evil that enters into society. And there's no self-control because the eyes of a man, according to Proverbs, are never satisfied. We want more. We want more swearing. We want more nudity. We want more. That's the nature of man. That's just the nature. It's the nature of all of us. It's not just people that are outside the church. And by the way, if you're watching or you're here today and and you wouldn't consider yourself to be a christian i just would encourage you to listen to what i have to say even if you don't totally agree with it just have an open mind and listen carefully to where we're going with this let me identify a few things um as far as decay is concerned we've already been through the abortion issue and it's still going to be in every state so that's not going to be a problem that'll continue on the sexual revolution has just literally overtaken our nation. It started at Woodstock many years ago, uh, and then it just started, it got into society, and then all of a sudden it just started flooding uh, into the TV and movies and everything. All kinds of immorality that is just out there. It's in your face. There's the new definition of marriage the Supreme Court came up with. I had to address that a number of years ago uh, because I had to let the people know that Matthew 19, when Jesus was asked about uh, can you get divorced for any cause? He says, haven't you read? He didn't say haven't you heard. Haven't you read that in the beginning God made them male and female? That a man would leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two would become one flesh? You can't do that. Two men can't do that. Two women can't do that. They can't. And so Jesus comes up with the definition because he knew this day was coming. So he made it very, very clear as to what what the definition is of the subject of marriage. Then there's the gender issue where nobody knows what gender they are until they go to school. I was just up our way, I talked to three different school teachers, and I've talked to one down here, and many of them are saying, kids that are five and six years old are being told, you don't know whether you're a boy or a girl. We're going to help you find out. Can you imagine the mental trauma of a child? But it's all part of the devil's plan. Destroy marriage, destroy gender. There's only two genders, but there's... 50 or 60, the world has invented. Romans chapter 1, verse uh, 32 says, we become inventors of evil things. Then there's the pronoun issue. Kids are running into school crying at the school counselor's office because they weren't called the right pronoun. They want to be called they. We had a guy up our way in Northern Virginia got himself in a lot of hot water because a girl came in and said, my name is no longer Georgie, it's George. And he said, no, it's, it's Georgie. He refused to call her by her actual name and gender and he was dismissed from school. It was, it was, it took months to solve this thing with the school board. Hundreds of people were coming out to these meetings. People fist fighting, yelling and screaming. Who would have dreamt this day would come? But it's here because the world is decaying in darkness. Now, I've been told that there's a, flight up ahead, they just notified me that the next thing that we're going to be looking at, we might lose some cabin pressure, so if the mask drop, just make sure that you put it on and take care of the person next to you. Videos. Uh, videos. Um, there's nothing wrong with video games, nothing wrong at all, as long as you have self-control and you don't play them eight hours a day. And if any of you are on your videos right now, video games, just turn them off and listen to what I have to say, all right? <clears throat> listen, our church, I used to walk by and I could see people, you know, playing games. Everything. Anyway, uh, I like to, to do Wordle. That's not a video game because I, I don't, can't move my hands fast enough to play a video game. But any anyway, rate, video games I suspect are fine as long as they're clean and not horribly violent or immoral, but not nine hours a day or eight hours a day. This, we just blend in with the culture and we lose vital time to read, to learn, to be with other people, to socialize, to grow in, in our lives. Sure, we can have fun. The Bible says God has given us all things freely to enjoy. Another thing that's taken place in our society is living together. People just live together. So we've got things we watch, people living together, pronouns, all these different things. Psalm 101, listen carefully to this. What would this do to all of us? Psalm 101, verse 3 says, I will set no evil thing before my eyes. How much Netflix entertainment would be removed from the Christian life if we believe that verse? But if we don't believe that verse, we have no self-control and we blend right in with society. And Pew Research and Barna Research says they've looked at the Christian life and Christians are no different than the world. That's a shame. That's a shame. When the, world, when, they, when, when the world is looking at Christians and saying, you guys aren't salt and light, you're hypocrites. Unfortunately, that's what they, that, that's what they often call us. Um, when we lack self-control, we don't have the salt and light to penetrate. People in our lives, without us carrying signs or yelling and screaming at the world, just our lives itself People ought to be able to taste the salt when they're around us. They ought to feel the heat from the light that is within us without us saying much. Eventually, you do have to share the gospel. They're not going to become believers by just looking at our lives. But there's opportunity that, that, that lends the, the opportunity for us to be able to share the good news of the gospel. You know, it's interesting. Lot, in the Old Testament, he goes into a city, Sodom, and the city changed a lot. Paul goes into Corinth, and Paul changes Corinth. That's salt and light. Was he given a hard time? You bet he was. Do you know that when the gospel goes forward, it impacts the finances of a community or a nation? Did you know that? If you're going back and you're looking at the book of Acts, you'll find several places in the book of Acts, or at least two that I can think of, where people got very upset because the gospel was spreading, and it was taking them away from their immoral and lack of ethical deeds in business practices. And they wanted Paul out of the city. They wanted the gospel out. The gospel impacts a nation. A nation doesn't rise and fall on its economy. It rises and falls on its morality, and its morality dictates its economy. That's another message for another time. But I've been been watching this, and I can tell you, I've seen enough through the years to see what is taking place here. So are we changing the culture, or is the culture changing us? Salt and light. Salt and light will change the narrative. Now, I want to say something about the narrative. The cultural narrative, and this is hard, but it's true. The cultural narrative today in the media and in the world is this, Christians are narrow-minded, hateful, intolerant bigots living on the wrong side of history. You ever heard that before? Sure you have. It's a lie. It's an absolute lie from the pit. But Satan is a liar and the father of it. So you can expect the world to see that. And some of it, they look at it and they go, I don't see any salt and light, therefore I see you as a hypocrite. We have to change the narrative. And by changing the narrative isn't yelling and screaming and walking around with sandwich boards and signs and everything else telling everybody they're all doomed. That's not going to change the narrative. Changing the narrative is salt and light. Salt and light are not noisy. It don't make a lot of noise, all right? Salt and light is a life, a life of self-control before a world that lacks self-control, before a world that, that the eyes of a man are never satisfied and just wants everything it can possibly want. And so for us to change the narrative, there are some things that have to happen. Number one, if we are loving before our neighbors that see things very differently than maybe we do, they need to know that love is not to be construed as agreement, and disagreement is not to be construed as hate. Did you hear that? Love is not to be construed as agreement. I can disagree with somebody but still love them. For God so loved the world, but He sure disagrees with the world. And disagreement doesn't mean hate. About, oh, I don't know how many years ago, probably four or five years back, I gave a series of messages in our church called The Gospel and Sexuality. And I made several weeks' advance announcement because I knew we would have a lot of people that would come in that are in total disagreement. I knew we'd have people that are... the LGBT community and so on and here's how I opened it. I said, I don't know where you are, whether you're straight or gay, I want you to know something. Every single person in this sanctuary, everyone is in the same boat. Everybody through the line of Adam, and that's all of us, are broken emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, and sexually. Everyone Straight people are broken sexually, gay people are broken sexually. So welcome. And then I went in and I explained what the gospel had to say about marriage and about gender and all those things and I was shocked. I didn't get any flack. I think one of the reasons was is that I told the people that would have disagreed with us, I said, listen, if you happen to be gay and you disagree with our view, I want you to know something. If you can't pay your rent or your mortgage, would you call the church? We'd love to help out because we don't hate you, we love you. And if you're ever sick, would you call the church and try to get a hold of me? I'll be the first person to visit you in the hospital. Why? Because I love you. I love you. I don't, just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I don't love you. And that opens dialogue. We have to learn how to change the narrative by being salt and light in this world. 1 Corinthians 5 says, we are not to judge the world. Let God judge the world. We're to judge the church. We're to be iron sharpening iron with one another. As we see people slipping, we pull people alongside, have a cup of coffee, work with it. That's where we are. We're not to judge the world. We are to be salt and light to the world. Lack of self-control does something else, and I shared this a few weeks back at Nolensville. A lack of self-control will wind up destroying your conscience, and here's what I mean by that. Let me, first of all, define conscience. The word conscience, conscience, means to know with, all right, to know with. God has given everybody a conscience. Your conscience, according to Romans, either accuses or excuses you. It depends on us, all right? And here's what happens. The conscience needs to be set to true north, which is what the Bible does. I always have to be in Scripture to get my my conscience reprogrammed because the world will try to program it the other way. When God is saying you need to go north, the world will try to program my morals and ethics and everything else to go to go completely south. So here's how the conscience works. And it's linked directly to self-control. Let's say I think I've got self-control and I'm watching a new television show that comes on, and all of a sudden I, I realize this is not this is morally not gonna be a good show, and my conscience says, Mike, turn it off. And I say to myself, Well, maybe next week it'll be a little bit better. So I watch next week and my conscience says, turn it off. And then I watch it the next week and my conscience says, turn it off. And then I watch it the next week and my conscience says, it it, it says, why should I warn you when you're not listening? When it gets to the place we don't hear our conscience, there are several things scripture says about conscience. It says it it can be seared with a hot iron It can be shipwrecked. It can be calloused. It can be pierced through with with, with this hot iron. All these statements, these strong statements about what happens to the conscience. That's why we're now maybe watching things we never would have watched years ago. We may be watching things today that the world wouldn't have watched years ago. Go back to Clark Gable, all the different things that I've mentioned here. I I can tell you because here's why they're linked. If we don't have... have, uh, self-control. What happens is the more we give in to immorality or whatever, there's science will tell you there are these little neuroplastic things in our brain that once that neuroplasticity is in there, whether it's alcohol or drugs or a tv show or whatever, let me tell you something, habit will trump self-control any day of the year. I've got self-control, I can control it, and then that little Neuroplasticity says, No, you can't. No, you, you have to have another drink. You've got to watch that show. Here's an example. <laughs> Years ago, I, I used to go to this place called Madeline's, La Madeline's up in Reston, Virginia. And I'd go in every single morning and I would have a bran muffin and a cup of coffee. They had great coffee, and these bran muffins were nice and warm. And I'd slice that baby open and put about a half a pound of butter on there and you know put that thing in. Some of you are drooling, At any rate. And I began to realize it was not helping out down here. So I said, no more bran muffins. My neuroplasticity sister said, bran muffin. I said, I've got self-control. I walked into Madeline's one morning and I said to myself, you are not having a bran muffin. I walked up, the lady behind the counter said, what do you have, bran muffin? <laughs> Just like that because it had become a habit. I mean, even something like a bran muffin was an addiction. Man, I wish I wasn't talking about it, I'm really getting hungry. At any rate, uh, but this is what happens. So self-control will help keep the conscience right, or conscience will help keep the self-control right. They sort of are linked. And when we don't blend in with the world, with the way we dress and the way we talk and the way we act and the things we watch, when we don't, the world sees that. There's an interesting passage in the book of Hebrews talking about Noah. It says, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which was by faith. What does it mean he condemned the world? Was he yelling at the people? No, I don't think he was yelling at the people. I think the fact that they saw his faith that he would build an ark when nobody had ever even seen rain before spoke to them. Our lives, our salt and light speaks to the world around us when people see us resisting things that they all give in to right and left. Now, with all of this said, um, I used to say this to our people quite a bit back home. I would say, much like Esther, perhaps you're here for such a time as this. I would say to our people, why us, why now, why here? Now, Reston's located not very far away from the White House and the Pentagon and all that's going on in our government. And so our church, very different demographic than what you have here, both highly potential to do great things. And I would say, why us, why now, why here? We had people that worked in the war room, We had a guy that briefed uh, President Obama every single day, and he would come and tell me certain things that he could tell me. We had people that worked high up in the Defense Intelligence Agency. We had people that that were Secret Service. I could find out all kinds of things after the service by talking to those people. And I said, too much is given, much is required. You are responsible for what you've been given. This is a very wealthy community. This is a community that has incredible potential. Every bit as much as Reston, just a different demographic. And Jeff is, I think Jeff is the greatest exhorter and motivator of anybody I've ever heard in my entire life. The guy just lights my fire every time I I, I come here. But I'm here to tell you, salt and light from this church can so impact this world and this community, the likes of which you could not possibly believe. But we cannot blend in to society and we love people that disagree with us and they need to know that they need to know that we are not here to judge them we are here to love them to love people that see things differently the world may hate us but we're to love the world for God so loved the world every single fruit of the spirit is a weapon did you know that it's a weapon I have a good friend of mine who fought in Vietnam, graduated the Naval Academy in 1965, and he said, he said, Mike, what do you think of when you think of 2 Corinthians when it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not fleshly, but mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. I mean, they aren't physical weapons. I said, well, prayer, the word of God. He said, what about love? I said, a weapon? He said, the definition of a weapon is anything that you possess that can destroy your enemy's ability to kill you. When you love somebody that despises you, it's a weapon. When you show joy to people that are angry, it's a weapon. It's a weapon. It's an offensive weapon, and it does something. It's salt and light. That's the kind of weapon that it actually is. Rolling Hills Community Church is a weapon, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, according to Scripture. And this church has been given much, and too much will be required. Now, I'm going to close with this, and you're so glad that I'm closing. Mike, why are you being so hard on us today? Why are you saying so many hard things? I'll tell you why. When we moved here one year ago this month, I had no idea that I could ever fall in love with the church as fast as I've fallen in love with this church. I know I'm in the last lap around the block, I know this is the winter season of my life, I know it's the last quarter, and I'm loving it. But I know enough in life to know that we're not, when we're not salt and light, the consequences, the law of the harvest, the consequences come into our own lives. And I love you enough to tell you, you don't want to go down that road. I have been, we, My wife and I, Kay, have been just literally loved by this church. We have been absorbed. We, I, I, I'm the pastor of, of Prime Time, which is meeting right now for those that are over 60. I'm also teaching a, uh, the, the book of Jonah on Wednesday nights here. And, and we're, uh, I've, got, I've got a small group that I'm in back in, in West Haven. And there's a, just a lot of things that we've been involved in since the day we got here. And we have just been literally loved beyond comprehension. That's why I love this church. And that's why I'm saying hard things. Because I want you to be effective salt and light in this world. Hebrews 5 says this, it says that those that are drinking the milk of the word are unskillful in the word of righteousness, but those that are eating the meat have their senses exercised to discern between good and evil. Too many Christians don't know right from wrong. This is the guide. This is not a moral handbook from heaven, that's not what it is. It is, a, it is a, an epic story of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so I just, I want you to be in here. I want you to, to understand what it means to be salt and light. Four things I'm going to close with as we enter into communion. These are things that if you're watching online and you're not a believer, or you're here and you're not a believer, it's for both, believers and unbelievers. Here it is. You need to know these, these things. First of all, when you became a believer, you passed from death death unto life. So as I've said hard things today, but keep in mind, you're alive. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that lives and believeth in me shall never die, Jesus said. So you, you have life, all right? You've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of God's dear Son. You need to know that. You need to know that you have been justified Every single Christian ought to know the definition of justification. It means to be declared righteous. We are not righteous in and of ourselves, but we can be declared righteous by the judge in heaven. It says, Mike Minter trusted Christ in Copenhagen at a bed and breakfast in June of 1970. He put his faith in Christ. I declare him righteous. He is not righteous, but I declare him righteous because he's in Christ. He now has the righteousness of Christ placed to his account. And Jesus takes on all of his sin, and Mike takes on all of Jesus' righteousness. Therefore, when I stand before God, I stand before God not because of my good works or my church membership or how much money I give. I stand before God because I have the righteousness of Christ. And if you have never trusted Christ today, put aside thinking that you're good, put aside thinking that you can do all those things. You'll never make it. You'll never get one step closer to heaven. You must call upon Christ and realize that you're in darkness you're in decay, and you're in desperate need of a Savior. And put your faith in Christ and Christ alone. And lastly, you've been born again. And it's a misrepresented, misunderstood term. Born again, I've heard people say, I'm a Christian, but I'm just not the born again kind. I have news for you. You're not a Christian. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as a Christian who wasn't born again. There's no such thing as a person who's born again that's not a Christian. If you're born once, you'll die twice. If you're born twice, you'll die once. If you're born once, you'll die spiritually and physically. If you're born twice, physically, and born again, you'll only die once. You'll die physically. He that's born once dies twice. He that's born twice dies once. You see, the mystery of the gospel is that the Son of God became the Son of Man, so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. And what I want from you as we land this plane is this, the gospel is best communicated when the conviction of those who believe it can be observed by those who don't. Let's pray and then we'll have communion. Father, thank you for... Sweet time with these dear people that I love so much, and I pray. I know I've said hard things today, Lord, but they're from Your Word. So now, Father, as we enter into communion, I pray that You would bless our time, encourage our hearts, and we'll thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. You take your elements here, and take out first of all the the bread. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread. And he prayed, then he broke it, and he said, this bread is my body. Take this in remembrance of me. Let's partake. Father, thank you for your broken body, what we deserve that you took on. And now, Father, I just thank you for the great privilege of being able to come before you in communion. We'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. In like manner, he took the cup and he said, "'This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. "'For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, "'you do show the Lord's death until he comes.'" Father, thank you. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And Lord, I thank you for the people that have come out today. We know that many are traveling, and I pray that any who are watching online or here that have never trusted Christ, today would be the day that they would pass from death unto life by putting their faith in Christ and Christ alone. Amen.
0: That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. the subscribe button so that you can be notified each time we release a new sermon did you know rolling hills publishes other podcasts too check out the making history parenting podcast men's leadership network and the rh women's as you go podcast if you're interested in learning more about rolling hills download our app follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church we're thankful you spent some time with us today we'll see you next time